0: You were talking about before about uh, uh, it doesn't exist uh, exactly and that is a uh, criminal or uh, well, uh, I want to you to dig a little bit about that because uh, um, the passage wasn't significant. Can you
1: repeat so at the beginning the which passage?
0: So um, the bad criminal versus uh, criminal. criminal. Yeah, exactly. About the good or bad
1: criminal. What exactly
0: is that? Important? Because it also all these issues that about constipation and uh, deportation. So in, in which case? So for example, a, a breach of Spain is a, even a small one. Is a
1: crime. But uh, uh, in which sense is it that crime
2: I will reluctantly use this thing. Um, good question. So I mean, it obviously depends on contexts. But in the UK and Canadian contexts, um, for instance, a breach, let's call it, of um, your immigration laws. For instance, you might be, you have a temporary visa, you're a student, you're a visitor, you're a migrant worker, etc. You overstay, and that's a breach of your visa. So you will no longer have documentation. But that is not a crime, that is not a criminal law offense, it's an administrative offense. So in the Canadian context, it's and in the British context, it's you know like you don't pay your parking ticket and get a fine. Um... It is, there's no charge and there's no trial, there's no time you can do for it. That's an administrative issue. So that's one problem of why are people being put into prisons and detention centres in Canada. Not only detention centres, which are m- basically minimum security prisons, but they're also put into maximum security prisons as well. Uh, usually the people who have had criminal histories will be kind of doubly punished in that sense. Um, and so, under the law, they'll say we're just holding people temporarily. We're not punishing them, but we're putting them into punitive spaces. Um, so, I guess there's like a couple questions legally uh, in terms of, you know, are we are we saying are we fighting for more of the criminal justice system framework for immigration? Surely not. We know um, how skewed and problematic the criminal injustice system is, particularly for some communities that are more targeted um, by state violence, by policing, by criminalization. So that can't be what we're fighting for. Um, but um, where I think was trying to make a comment about uh, the good, crimi- the bad criminal versus good immigrant is I think in a lot of the immigrant rights movement that exists, uh, I'm more familiar in the global north, where that is a stronger movement, um, but often it is around the narrative of uh, deservingness, of belonging, of state recognition, that the goal is to get citizenship for you as an individual and to prove worthy of that citizenship, um, and oftentimes at the expense of others, in the sense of, I'm good, I I am a law-abiding person, I deserve to be here, unlike those people who have committed crimes, and who are those people? Those people are in in, in communities that are generally poor and working class and black and indigenous in in the North American context that are being criminalized, you know? Um, And so trying not to fall into the the, the divide and conquer narratives that I think oftentimes people working in immigration will do that immigrants, the good immigrants, deserve to stay, deport the criminals. And so that, I don't know if that helps clarify. but there is definitely a messiness between uh, criminal and, immig- and immigration and administrative law um, that is hard to understand, I think, in some senses. But I think they operate in the same, similar ways. Um.
3: Oh, just one, 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 one thing to add. I'm not sure if everyone is very familiar with the ongoing debate in Hong Kong about like, immigrants and illegal immigrants is um, that people are actually urging the government to build detention center? Where, like, um, I think the last detention center was gone, like, uh, when, when Hong Kong, quote like, Hong Kong government, quote solved the Vietnamese refugee problem, like, uh, years ago. But now they are urging, because of um, the alleged, like, increased um, crimes committed by Ill- illegal immigrants, um, most notably from Africa or in Southeast China uh, South East Asia and so lot like, people are actually calling to, to, to establish like detention camps again. Yeah. So it's like I, I don't know, I don't think it's a good sign, but it's just like there is like absolutely debate about like detention camps has has uh, rise again in Hong Kong and recent in these like one or two years.
2: Silence. <laughs> or just a thoughtful silence. People are deep in thought, yeah. like being like, "Oh," and so engaged.
1: I'd like to ask uh,
0: to go for the question about the, the title of this magazine, you know the list I was wondering why oh, yeah, yeah. I one keep one forgetting one the cow. Or... <laughs> it's it's very funny because I get the question each time, and each time I forget to start with it, which would be the most sensible thing to do for me. Um, especially because I, I still I still love that name, um, um, providing that I'm not the Finopolis. Sometimes I, I, I read I read that and, that one, and, and you'll and you understand why I'm very clumsy. Uh, the Finopolis <laughs> is a tight worker. Um and for me, it's a sort of um, it's a sort of an allegory of. Uh, a sort of reflective allegory on, on the way architecture uh, drastically impacts uh, realism uh, and in particular how architects mostly use lines to uh, take a sort of uh, a sort of uh, open milieu and, and split it with a line i a line becoming a wall and uh, and the type of walker, obviously, is a person that walks on the line. Is uh, what, I, what I like in this figure is that it's not trying to be a figure of emancipation because uh, there's nothing, nobody is more con- constrained by the line than the type of walkers that, that literally cannot go anywhere else on the line. But since this line was established to, put, to categorize bodies and to, put, to organize bodies on whether one side or the other of the line. Uh, somehow, walking on the line is a, is a way to at least subvert uh, the sort of intention uh, put behind the line. And uh, I like to use uh, the example of the, of the burning Wall uh, when, when falling in November 89. Uh, um, how people did not really just pass from one side to the other, but they actually set, set themselves up on the thickness of the line. That's also a concept I really like. Uh, and to, to show the sort of obsolete uh, uh, characteristic of, the, of this um uh, uh, so when you're on the line you're, you're, you might subvert uh, uh, precisely the, the traits of the line.
2: and uh, what I really like about that title I love the magazine you should all buy it <laughs> uh, <laughs> is that it also reminds me of um, Uh, I guess there's a group called Decolonizing Architecture Artist Residency, D-A-A-R, yes, Um, in in occupied Palestine uh, that has been doing research around, I guess, the idea of the line in drawing the territories of occupation. Um, And uh, I looked at that a long time ago, but was fascinating is looking when you're drawing on a map of a a very removed scale, that line actually has thickness, it's not infinitely thin. Um, And when you're on the ground and so the project was mapping out actually what is the thickness of that line on the ground and it becomes homes are in that territory, tracts of land are in that line. And so that line is actually contested and occupiable at the same time. So I think there is um, a really interesting um, idea of the I mean, funambulus and tight rope walker are both really hard to say words. i find out. <laughs> I never tight rope walker, but amazing. <laughs> um, just oh, sorry. No, I, I just one
1: comment
3: because because now that you've explained funambulus, I was because I was I was about to ask you about the layout that that uses design like on every page, and I was like. Since that you were, I, I think you're the kind of person who who is like advocating the abol- the abolition of borders and constraints and walls. Like if I if I haven't get you uh, incorrectly, then so why why is that line that thick line across all of the pages? So I was just about to ask that. So. But now you said that so you were like walking on the line, so so actually it is like because when the line defines two spaces, it is actually safe or the legal thing to do be, to be physically in the space, but it is the act of transpassing or to be stepping on that line that is like the thing that that also hates you to do. So yeah, so it's a cool,
1: thing.
3: cool layout. Yeah, sorry, not your your question. Um, I
1: want to ask you about. Um, 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 I see that you're, you're from, coming from an architecture background, and the, I see that some series of the magazine are about fashion and objects. And how can you relate architecture to those things? I guess you have a broader definition
0: about architecture. What is it? Uh, yeah, I, I, I mean, I I think it's easier not to make the separations than to actually make it. Uh, I think the separation exists in, uh, in because we need disciplines and we need to know what an industrial designer is uh, versus what an architect is, but I actually don't see much difference in, in those practices uh, to the extent that we're talking about the material, uh, the material reality because there's also an entire world of and build architecture and build design and build. Uh, so that's another that's another problem, so to speak. But uh, when it comes to the physicality of all those scales of design, again, like I think it's more complicated to actually say, okay, this is where clothing stops and maybe object starts, and then that's, this is where object starts. And it's easier not to not to see those categories. So uh, that's that's kind of the the tech the editorial type mm-hmm. of the magazine is not to look at look, not to make rational scope and so this is not sure I did the, the, yeah, because yeah. the yeah. uh because the
2: technology
0: sorry but we could also extend the question the opposite way because you're speaking a lot about territories so and cities so the question could also extend to urbanism. Not going to a smaller scale than objects of fashion, but to a larger scale like urbanism. So, what would be your point of view about this? Like, you're an architect, obviously, uh, and um, you address issues that are much broader in terms of politics and territories. So, I would be curious to have your point of view about this? Same answer. I mean, <laughs> you know, it's like I mean, it's like to mobilize a sort of cliche reference. It's like the powers of ten. Uh, you can you can zoom to the infinitely small and zoom to the infinitely large. But I I mean I think I I, 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 I I can be convinced that there is actually something interesting in making those thresholds. But right now, I really am not. I don't see why it's useful to wonder about that. Yeah. And I just want to add to your questions. It's like um, because
3: uh, my own project is working on like uh, how lesbian learns to be lesbian in the context of Hong Kong, and uh, there was one book by the Hong Kong scholar, at Denise Ten, and I'm, I'm not sure if you don't know heard. Like it's it's uh, called Conditional Space. Uh, so how lesbians live in like uh, the space of Hong Kong and how they are constrained or how they establish their own spatiality in the space of Hong Kong. And I want to say that there is actually not a very big difference or there is, but like the line that separates. Um, fashion or objects or, or architecture is like very thin. Because um, I, I would like to uh, take an example of like the Hong Kong household So the Hong Kong household like um, so one of my chapter uh, of my thesis is about um, how lesbians learns, how girls want to be um learn about the gender and sexuality like in the space in the spatiality of a Hong Kong Chinese household. So so the the space is not like the space of the Hong Kong households is not only a space but it's also an embodiment of the um, family structure of Hong Kong and the two actually influence each other and like not having your own room have a lot to have a lot of influence like other than like um, the inconvenience of not having like much privacy that's it's, it impacts how you how you carry yourself how your body moves or how yeah, so there's like a lot of um, an effect of the way you dress, effect, um, like you cannot wear, like you cannot go braless or topless at home like all the time, or that you cannot watch pornography like on your home computer because you don't have a door, that kind of thing. So so space has like a lot of like, um, yeah, there's a lot of take on space and like border and territory
2: and things like that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so um, I just remembered. Um, I think the last time I was here in February uh, for a family event, my father's 60th birthday. And so I was uh, sharing um, uh, my aunt's apartment um, with my parents. So we, we were able to share a bunk bed. And so it's been many, many years since I've shared a bed with my parents. <laughs> and so clearly no pornography on the top bunk. It's um, It's tragic. Um, and so
1: headphones?
2: Yeah, yeah, there's lights. Yeah, yeah. And there's also curiosity. I just yeah, you're <laughs> braver than I am. Um, and interestingly, I was working on this piece for the fanambulists, and interestingly, was just invited to participate in an exhibition about uh, uh, migrant domestic workers in Hong Kong and their. And I was looking at their living spaces within the workplace of other Perk people's homes. So I was really thinking about homes and space and it kind of relates, not being able to watch pornography, uh, not having a space to draw. So the hours I drew between were between 1 and 5 a.m. when uh, people had gone to bed and I could take the mahjong table out to the dining area and put and draw on that, you know, and then put that away because that was the only time that there weren't in people circulating in that space. I was like, okay, so to navigate and also talk, do, talk, you know, doing drawings about prisons and being like thinking a lot about you know, a lot of what I think about is the, the idea of minimum habitable space you know, as a legislative, as a thing written in code, in architecture design is there's minimum quantity that is needed, like a square footage in housing to you know, healthcare to prisons, and that logic is very lived reality for lots of people. And it was very clear, when, you know, pornography, talking prisons, to prisons, domestic whoa, Hong Kong. So I thought that anecdote <laughs> related to what you were sharing. C-
0: can you talk about your installation? Sure,
2: I can talk about my installation. Actually, a couple of the books here were there and helped and stuff, so that's great. Um, so the exhibition was called How to Make Space, um, it was carried by two um, curators from Toronto to um, Jennifer Davis, and Su Ying Lee, And they invited three artists to look at the occupation of public spaces by uh, migrant domestic workers in Hong Kong, which are obviously not unfamiliar to people who live in Hong Kong, go to Jordan, go to, go to Central, go across places in, in the city. And so they were interested in someone coming in from an architectural perspective to look at you know the kind of constructions people make, these temporary dwellings, and when I went there, you know, people are there sleeping, dancing, singing. And the thing that is most offensible to, like, a broad Hong Kong public is that people are doing private things in public spaces. That's what's offensive, like painting your toenails they in, toenails. you know, the kind of uh, cutting hair, this sort of, you know, in the central uh, plaza, probably the most, like, iconic building of Hong Kong capitalism, the HSBC building. And then there's people who are migrant workers painting their toenails awful. And so I was looking at it and I was like, this is so interesting. Why are people doing private things in public spaces? It's because they have no private space of their own. And why is that? Because their workplace is the living space of their employer. And so uh, I was less interested in how people occupy public space. And I ended up doing interviews and meeting with a lot of organizers because this city is amazing in terms of organization of migrant workers, of, you know... 300,000 migrant workers here, uh, 17% of the female workforce is migrant domestic workers. Huge force to contend with. And so doing interviews with them, doing reconstructions of where it is that they lived, um, and not focusing on really bad conditions, you know? Like, I, I don't think that's important. I think we're talking about what does it mean to live and work in your workplace? And what does it mean to be denied space? What does it mean to be denied space many times over? Talking about forced displacement because of global capitalism and then forced displacement from your home as well again. Um, and then so we I did a one-to-one tape drawings, reconstructions of different micro-domestic worker spaces. So some people who live in a bathroom on top of a toilet to someone who has a private room and putting them next to each other. And so that was the summer. It was a long description. No, 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 I
0: mean, it's, it's, uh, it's very interesting because it's, that's, you see the new magazine in the making. Because now I really want to do an issue about homes, and <laughs> I really just write <laughs> <round, laughs> down all the people I'd like to work with in that case. So just expect something from Sonia. <laughs> 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 um, who else?
1: I think this magazine has been fun. I'm very grateful for the opportunity that Cooper and me because Ming um, actually gave me quite a lot of issues to kind of catch up on because I, I was given a time for this. And um, I just love the way that um, it puts issues that we actually know about but like, not in depth. And it actually makes it really plain when I mean, we not coming. get involved like, in understanding it and like just to see the discussion and the conversation of it it's, it helps me get informed I think it helped everyone be informed so that was the feedback part and I actually have two questions because obviously you picked the um, format of a magazine um, for a certain purpose because you've done podcasts and you've done blog is there a certain audience in mind that you put the magazine together so that's the question and the second one is, because I've been um, seeing a progression in the magazine production that visuals is becoming like a very prominent um, prominent communication for the issues. So I was just wondering, um, do you have like a ratio or proportion in mind with the writings and visuals? That's the question. Thank you. It was very kind of tape, Thank you very, thank you very much.
0: Um, before even the two, the two questions, I thought I felt I, I wanted to say something else, but I forgot. what it was, ah, maybe it will get there. Uh, oh yeah, no, no, just the the fact of uh, the fact of having uh, of having the magazine really made for a non-academic audience is is uh, absolutely paramount to me. Uh, I mean. I think Tim and I have actually a similar uh, sort of roots in, uh, I mean, a similar approach to the world of architecture, as in sort of love-hate relationship, uh, but also uh, more, more than love, love-hate doesn't say much, but a sort of coming and going relationship, which, uh, so I actually do not think at all uh, Architects, because I know that coming from this world, that the, the sensi- sensibility already is there. And usually, there's, out of six contributors uh, for each issue, for the main articles and interviews, is usually maybe one who comes from an architectural background, maybe two sometimes. Um, and I, I'm not an academic myself. I don't teach anywhere. I've never really taught. I mean, not officially, at least. And. Um, and something I ask the contributors is to say like, I mean, not like that, but essentially listen. like you're you're writing those books like for Duke University Press or Minnesota University Press, and, like those super interesting, uh, very thorough, very deep uh, uh, publications, but here I want you to write like a journalist, and uh, uh, I want people who never heard of any philosopher their entire life to understand what you're saying so this is really this is part of the first email I sent to everyone uh, then answering your questions uh, so the one I forgot the first one sorry. yeah that was the second one yeah well the second one uh, but I mean I think the, the iconography is, is somehow part of that as well uh, so really trying to to have a dialogue between the text and the photos, I mean it's, it doesn't always work and sometimes the photos are really just like illustrations, but sometimes it's really, really uh, fundamentally part of, of things, and obviously in the case of things it becomes the you know, main material as well, so that's something that's it's something that's actually pretty complicated to work with because of obviously all the authorization uh, uh, that it requires and, uh, it's uh, it's a big part of labor that actually goes a little unseen because you know it's just photos, but actually the a sort of rights that goes behind It's quite complicated. Sometimes the budget the as well. Um, and again, what was your first question? <laughs> oh yeah, that's right, that's right. Yeah. So I mean, audience-wise. Yeah. Well, I guess that that's almost I I inserted that, yeah, but. Uh, I, there's no uh, specific audience in mind, but there's definitely a specific audience not to forget, uh, which is, again, people who are not in the who do not deal with theoretical topic, I mean, not theoretical, but intellectually uh, uh, present introduced uh, uh, topics uh, on a daily basis. So that's that's really something that yeah, it's super super important uh, in this publication. And I think it's actually a good assignment for, for those academics and they sometimes say sometimes it's kind of a, a big effort for them to, to really simplify it. But I, I think it's a, it's a, it's it's quite an interesting assignment. <laughs> um, I of course we Conversation open
3: dinner dinner about uh actually I, I want to highlight the fact that actually uh, Leopold is wearing a skirt today and um, which I really love and so no uh, uh, dinner we were talking about um, to to ex- to experience a space physically in the shoe of others. and so he was like I was I was I, I was actually saying uh, to that that is amazing that you can understand so many issues so well because like I couldn't that I, I do like for many of the issues that the magazine has talked about. And he said he can understand the issues theoretically or philosophically, but maybe not, um, not empirically? Or yeah, not empirically, because um, being a white male as he is from the global north, uh, there is a lot of things. That, uh, space, uh, his body is actually pretty neutral. A lot of spatial constraints doesn't, doesn't affect him because a lot of space is designed around him, like per se. And so um, I think uh, the, there is like a certain importance of, of, uh, of photography in the magazine is that um, you have to see the space for yourself. But of course, it would be better if you can do VR or you can just go to the space like uh, firsthand. But but like I, I think like photography is uh, very important because when you describe homes, it's very hard to imagine tank homes. Or when you describe like the occupation site the occupation central, you can't really feel the. The spatiality of it, unless you have been in it or been presented with the visual of it. And so I think the closest thing you can get now is like to have photography in your right. magazine, which helps to ground a lot of things you have said. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so just as a note. What do you care about when
0: space is designed for
3: a Um. Because. No, I, I, I don't want to be, but like really making a very essentialized statement, but, but yeah, yeah, I know Just I
0: which elements uh, can arrive? Uh,
3: um, a lot of the, or, um, no, a lot of the architects from the older days are guys, like but the, the sheer fact of like guys were in the power of designing space, like uh, in for a very long time is one of the there, there is like a, a lot of arguments, no, there is a lot of work done, in, uh, done by feminists to talk about how space was actually designed around
0: gender. Because, for example, yeah. uh, relating to what you were saying before, that was really interesting how, for example, a female mm-hmm. couple
1: yeah.
0: doesn't live really leave the space. I found that uh, those uh, problems were actually very wrong. Like, something that I can relate to them oh. too, because I didn't hear you. Know, uh, so, I, I, so maybe to you? To yeah, because I, I, I sorry, I, I, really couldn't like oh, hear, okay. yeah, yeah, sorry, sir. So, um, yeah, I, I, will say it uh, Yeah. Because I, I found interesting mm-hmm. on how um, people space, like you said before, like uh, for a female couple
1: that uh, stays in a house uh, that cannot
0: uh, uh, have private, uh, uh, private space but it's something that I relate really to.
1: So, um, actually, thinking races or gender in architecture is, uh, in, in a lot sense,
0: it's very, very generalistic uh, too. So I wonder how, also, not relating to the old days or actually only the men and what are deciding,
1: uh, like, a, there is a famous phrase, too, only men has to work. Uh-huh. So, um, but, by old sake I understand this, but uh, in, the, in, in our plans, how can we prevent this from happening? And also, how do we think exactly that the space has been designed for that, you know, for single white men, are things
0: that uh, are a little difficult to grasp. You know? so I want to just have a clarification. Okay.
3: I'll try to answer the question the, 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 the best I can because I, I obviously, obviously made a statement that we, that is beyond my ground. But but anyway, um, let's see. We're
0: coming for backup. me too. Me too. I gotcha. I gotcha. Um,
3: let's see. Um, I think actually. If you were saying no, if if you were to ask me, how can we prevent that from happening, or how do we invent a new kind of space? Actually, I don't know because we're so used to thinking about space in the way it is now, and it is like um, the space that we have inhabited or the space that we have been put into actually also um, has an impact on how impact on our mental faculty in perceiving space and imagining space. Does it make
1: exactly. sense? Uh, yes.
3: Uh, yes. Yeah. the of
0: Sorry.
1: Uh,
3: I mean, we have uh, exactly uh, uh, I mean, uh, Um. Yeah. So, if you were to ask me, because like when I was talking to Leopold and he was saying the abolition of prison, actually I was completely baffled. I cannot imagine like a world without prison, and that is the that is the that is the mental gap that I have to acknowledge that I am. Mm-hmm. It's a like complete void in my mind to think about when when I have to imagine a space without like imagine a world without without like a prison and, and or maybe like a space that is like very gender friendly or very LGBT friendly. I, I, I don't know how to give advice as to how space factories, like, right? Uh, yeah, other than like having more cubicles and everything for that, you know, I don't know. To, I don't know what else. Add. <laughs> and I think that it's like the thing that architecture or a lot of established, like commonsensical thing that does to your mind is that they not they only not they not only regulate the space but They also like like limit the, your imagination of things. That when you see that thing so often, that you do not. You cannot think others. Like when you see like bimbo characters and films too often that you cannot imagine my like, woman to be different. Like, yeah, that counts. And kind of I think like the two architects can
2: have more like better constructive comments than I did. Yeah. So I think um, there's many things. I think built space is a uh, uh, a manifest physical manifestation of the status quo in many ways of a of representation of power uh, of who supplies the capital, of um, who is in the ruling class, and it's not talking about historically. Like we know that that is the, the white male, that is the subject, that is the dominant subject, that is the you know dominant person around which our society is structured around. So we know that, that, that that's capitalism, that's patriarchy, that is the person we are um, that is we are maintaining the power of. But of course, that sounds abstract. Like it sounds abstract. It's like, well, of course, we all, as Leopold was talking about, architecture in lots of ways. In terms of drawing line, is an act of violence. It is constantly. We, we feel them in, in in every sense. In terms of the constrictions and oppression, and as human beings living, that's true. Whether it's it's about housing, whether it's about access to services, whether it's you know that we are living in difficult times. Um, but a, a concrete, I'll give maybe a couple examples. A concrete. Examples right now. I'm sitting in this chair. and My feet don't touch the ground. Yeah, my feet don't <laughs> touch the ground either. I have to sit. Like, um, really? In and the that's front. because most things that we design <laughs> around are <laughs> oh, from and he it does. It's, and that sounds really banal, but no, the the world is designed around a 1.8 meter generally. White male who is heterosexual, and there's also all of aspects, right? When we talk about class. Like when we look at every public, semi-public space, like a lot of space in Hong Kong is not public space but privately run public spaces, like the plazas. We think about the walkways. <gasps> Those are highly securitized, surveilled, um, and uh, uh, policed spaces, right? So if you're poor and homeless, you will that will probably not be a space designed for you. We know about all the antisocial kind of furniture around the spikes to make sure no one sleeps on a... That is one way that the space is not being designed for you. So it's not just about race and gender, but it's also about class. It's about a lot of other factors of who is not welcome and who we're not designing for. So I'm using this example because this is everyday life. We all live in space, and we don't have to be trained architects at all. I mean, answering to some of the comments earlier about, oh, I don't know anything about architecture. Mo- everyone here lives our vast majority of lives inside built environment, inside buildings. So we all are specialists in architecture. So we should have a say in how spaces are built and how we build them. And um, and I'll give one other example, um, which I thought was very interesting and was the first time I think Leopold and I talked about a project I worked on. Um, so about three years ago, a collective of migrant women of color, um, In in, in Toronto, doing immigrant immigrant rights work, we we did a kind of public performance protest in commemoration of a three year anniversary of a boat that arrived on the coast of British Columbia uh, called MV Sea that carried 492 migrants, Tamil migrants from Sri Lanka. They were all immediately jailed, women, children, men for a year, um, mostly all deported after that. Um, And so we, and there is this idea, this image uh, in people, some people's minds, especially for uh, where uh, countries where more immigrants are going to, is this like oh uh, fear of this like like invasion by black and brown bodies, by poor black and brown bodies especially. And so we did this reenactment. Um, and we did a reenactment. We staged a, a kind of landing in the city of Toronto in the downtown rush hour at the headquarters of Hudson's Bay Company, which is a fur trading company from um, a colonial. Um, a colonial company um, still today, around today um, and so we asked our people who we knew we invited volunteers who were white identified come in and we were going to house, bring in a few hundred white people and made this big ship and they were going to settle in and, and dock at the headquarters of colonisa- you know, colonization not obviously colonization was not invented there You, better you? oh hey, look at that it's not for self-sustainable promotion, but what happened was so interesting. It's like I, uh, along with these people, have, we were used to organizing street-based actions, rallies, actions in response to things. Um, we went down, we, it was rush hour Friday, 5 p.m., and the police were just like, hands off. They asked us what we were doing, and we were like, oh, it's an art project you know? And this is a space, and I realized very quickly, I'm like, because there's that gathering, mass gathering of white folks dressed in white, and it's an art project, but that doesn't need to be policed or repressed. I have, we, we walked ourselves off the streets, until we, when we were bored. We're like, okay, I guess we've had enough, we got the pictures, let's go. Never, never have, in organizing any kind of protest, or action, or rally, or anything of this nature, where you bring in actually poor racialized folks into a space, that can happen because public space is for a certain body. And so, and that's stuff to dismiss that all of us are affected by constraints and repression in the form of the built.
0: Well, I, I don't think I'll add so much to, to, to this because that's, it's very uh, uh, but maybe just saying that uh, that's probably the number one thing that this magazine is trying to do, is to, to really uh, talk about that. But, um, but maybe bringing, bringing some kind of, uh, bringing again like what I was describing earlier as a sort of fitting loop, because it's not just, um, it's not just uh, things might not be able to touch the ground right now, because that's also the fact that because of that she might be starting to wear heels, for example. So, or in a sudden clothing involved, do you never no, done? <laughs> uh, uh, and uh, and. And there's this incredible drawing that I thought I put somewhere, but for some reason I can I cannot find it anymore. This drawing from the graphic standard, so like this, this big books, this big book of architectural reference in which um, you know they tell you how high a table should be and how high a chair should be for again this standardized body, uh, which is which is very important to say again it's a, it's an intersectional body. Uh, we 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 haven't talked about ableism as well, but. In, I mean, there's probably an elevator somewhere, but uh, just imagine coming coming here uh, uh, if you if you need a cane to work to walk or or if you if you're in a wheelchair. And and that's quite interesting in the world of architecture as well, talking about that, is, that, is how much architects think of it as something after, is that they first they do their building for standard standard able bodies, and then at the end they're pissed off because they need to adapt it to to uh, to, to people who are using wheelchairs when we should be really uh, uh my argument here as an architect is not uh we should accommodate all bodies. We should uh, we should all live in harmony and all this kind of thing. But what if we change the standard for one building, let's say. Uh and that's something that's very interesting in the work of uh, Arakawa and Madling so I was talking about earlier because they did an entire building for the body of Ellen Keller. So a female deaf and blind person. What does that mean? Because we cannot refuse to have ideas of a, of a body uh, when we when we design a space. We always need to stop the dimension somewhere, so to speak. We, we can make them inconsistent, we can try to shuffle things around, but at the end of the day, there needs to be, when things get material, there needs to be a decision. So what if the, stern, the standard body for one building is completely different from the, from the one uh, visually? Um, but so the drawing the drawing for graphic centers that I don't need to talk about is it. fascinating because it 's the drawing of a female body in a kitchen, and not only is the counter adapted to her body, it is not actually because it becomes only adapted when she 's wearing heels, and the heel literally has a dimension. Uh, to show, so there is this whole loop that makes you wonder whether it's a, the, 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 the fact that traditionally, I mean, you know, commonly uh, in the whenever the graphics characters were made, uh, 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 women are wearing heels, and therefore you need to think of that when you make the counter or is it the height of the contour that makes you wear heels? And obviously, there's no answer. To it. it's, a, it's a loop all the time. So, uh, so there needs to be there needs to be a, a breakage within that loop. Uh, and uh, and I think as as designer, just like as as uh, cinema festival organizers, like for example, we're, that's that's what we're, we're trying to do.
3: Yeah, I, I was just like I think you mentioned that about like the April Body because I was just going to add because I was thinking about the stair all along because. Um, I, I read a, project, a student project in the newspaper like recently talking about um, like, so he, he's a student who wants to um, do a fun project about like exploring the city. So he tried doing it in a wheelchair for a week and he said he gave up in two days because it was just so hard for him to go around and he suddenly understand why a lot of, um, there are a lot of stereotypes of how uh, disabled people are in Hong Kong, so they're like, they're um, introverts, so they're very depressive. Uh, they're not very happy, they don't like to go out much. and after experiencing like the city in a wheelchair for two days he understands completely why they're like that he's because it's so hard to get around and the whole process is so frustrating that he don't want to talk to his mom on the second day because he had had so much um, he had suffered so much on the first day by trying to get from his home to the NPR station, which originally took 15 minutes, but it takes one and a half hour in the wheelchair. So that is like the kind of thing uh, that. That was uh, on my mind. And the second thing I forgot that I really want to talk about. Uh so what is that? No, I no it it, completely escaped me. So like (laughs) sorry. (laughs) Yeah. Is there anything that you want to add, please? Oh, okay. Oh, what's the second thing that you talked about? I I
0: forgot. Sorry, don't actually want to add. I just want to ask a
2: question, um, maybe to all three of you. Uh, but just because I actually don't know your body work that much, could you just briefly maybe
0: mention how how you got into what it is that you do today? Uh, maybe that's more specifically to um, um, in terms of the in terms of the magazine. Um, how, how you once started it, and, and what influenced you to um, begin making it, because or, or, I know you started in architecture, but how did you go on to do the blog and the magazine? Not, I, I'm not sure whether I want to keep with the political or go to the technical here, so... <laughs> uh, political. Yeah, well, yeah, I, <laughs> I knew you would say that. Uh, well, Sonia is going to be boring because I already, I already talked about no. that earlier, but um, um, the, the process of exiting architecture, was an interesting one actually because obviously that was very progressive and here I'm going uh, to say something that's very rational that things are much more diffuse than that but um, I wrote a book in 2010 called Weaponized Architecture and the sentence that I would always use I would repeat that all the time until people would get tired of it which was relatively quickly sometimes uh, which is that architecture is violence on bodies which is pretty much what I but uh, I then realized I didn't know what a body was. I, I literally didn't know what a body was. I, I knew, you know, I, I was to, I went to biology classes, uh, the times I did not get expelled for, for some reason, biology teachers did not like me. Um, but I literally, I, again, going back to, to being, to being very much very close because I like to talk in terms of degrees of closeness to the norm rather than being the norm and not being the norm. So being extremely close from the from the normative body in uh, in our society, never it has never been put into my face what a body was because obviously when you're a victim of racism or when you're a victim of uh, ableism or sexism or homophobia, what this violence is say, what this violence is saying is that you are a body. And so I realized nothing in the world that I knew, uh, the sort of little architecture world uh, back then in the US, so 91% uh, American architects are white. Uh, the amount of, uh, we did that for the, the design and racism issues, uh, the amount of African-American women who are architects is 0.3%. Oh. Uh, um, so being being in this world and being only at the beginning of starting to create some to, to, to be engaged with some sort of uh, alliances of within architect of being, within architecture being people being really pissed off by, by those things uh, I think it was it was only normal to, to seek for other academic discipline I mean whether it's anthropology geography uh, or whatever, but also disciplines that are already critically engaged, uh, gender, gender studies, be gender studies, uh, career studies, um, uh, and how this world of body was able to be able to was, had its entire uh, I mean, how there was an entire world strictly asking itself what uh, what was this body that was so much the target of uh, all this normative violence and structural violence, and so, and so that's that's how we, that's how uh, uh, bridges were starting to be create, created. Uh, for, I mean, I'm, I'm I'm speaking in a very ecocentric manner here. I'm really talking about this project in particular, uh, but. As I say with the podcast, it's just been—it's just been my little university uh, myself. Like I've been learning so fucking much from all those people, and uh, and that's that's what maybe the magazine as a as a format is trying to to bring what I was, what I was doing with the blog in my own and the books in my own little uh, shallow work on things and with the sort of expertise of. Uh, uh, unfolded, deployed in, in this podcast and to make to make something that pre articulated those two those two aspects of it. Tank maybe? Tank uh, sorry,
3: what was
1: the question
2: again? <laughs> <laughs> what brings you into what you have to I'm sort of raptured by comments. Um, I don't know what brought me into this uh, this work. I mean I mean I do know and while well, a hard question. Hmm. I mean, no, I mean, to me, it's it's very clear as you um, begin to, you know, I immigrated from Hong Kong to Canada um, at a young age, and uh, a place like Canada, sort of wealthy nation, um, multicultural, uh, very tolerant, uh, very, um, you know, a, a, a very socially liberal place, good place to live. And as you live and you recognize and you start to learn and break down some of those mythologies around a place and what does it mean um, to live um, under a a capitalist patriarchal uh, society and that that means people get imprisoned indefinitely. That means some people are are given rights and some people are denied rights. What does it mean that um, people are denied basic access to a dignified life? And so for me, it's in the process of politicization and, and coming from social movements that I ended up doing any of this work um, in my primarily migrant justice and women's rights movements. That's where this comes from. Oh,
0: yeah. you? And actually, if you want to know more things, did a graphic novel exactly about that. <laughs> Where's the concrete loom, so oh. you, can, you can see how, oh, God, how this worry. all started. Sorry, yeah. <laughs>
3: Actually, remember like well, when you were saying, I couldn't remember what was what I was yeah, trying yeah, to say. Yeah. So that was fantastic. Um, I actually no, I just like a few. Ex- I I really agree with what you say. Um, it is when you when when you um, when you know the when you experience a space that is not designed for you, that you are reminded that you are a body. So it was actually extremely true because um, I don't know if you have been in Hong Kong long enough. So some of the time. Um, Hong Kong will be really humid, or when, when it has rain, or when they have bogged the floor, so they would put like those uh, wind machine um, on the floor. And it is only when you're a girl that you will find a really problematic because it will blow your skull up every time. And so, so and so you know that whoever put that there, they are either like women who wear trousers or they're mad So whoever designed the design that fucking machine is, do not have like people who wear skirts in mind. Or they are trying to create the uh, very, uh, very little like uh, to everyone. Uh, so that was that was one of one of uh, the thing that I like. Like space really struck me as like um, all the shiny flaws that uh, newspaper was scandalizing that they were like a good like um, like a black spot for. Um, for like uh, who, who want to like peep under a skirt because the floor is extremely shiny and the escalator panels are all clear and things like that. So you know that like shit happens, um, <laughs> or, or like they do not have like they are not in the right mind when they were designing the things, or they completely do not have you in mind when they are designing the space. Um, and the thing about kitchens is that um, I because my dad is a construct my, my dad uh, builds home so um, my house was built by my dad my house that we lived there was built by my dad and actually my mother talked about how she did uh, how she asked my dad to lower the um, where she cooked to lower to make it shorter because my mom is like almost at the same height as me but my father is almost uh, as tall as you so when when, when she when he was building the stove top it was extremely tall and then my mom couldn't really cook Comfortably, because but but she is the one who cooks. So so there is like uh, no my my dad like uh, the stove top, or else my mother would refuse to cook. But, but that was the thing that that he only has himself in mind when he was designing the stovetop, top. But obviously he is not the one who utilizes the space. Um, so uh, which explains all the wardrobe design failure because he doesn't have a lot of clothes and I have a lot of clothes and and the closet completely do, do not suit my needs. So so that was a uh, thing. But anyway, um, uh, what brought me into uh, the thing that I do? Uh, I guess it's like Leopold said, like, you feel that you're a body when the space reminds you that you do developed it in. So there's a lot of, um, so I like watching films. I, I'm not sure if you know, I, 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 I do, uh, I'm, I'm doing my PhD on uh, how lesbians come to be lesbian and how they uh, learn about lesbianism in Hong Kong. And on the side, I do. Uh, I organize a film festival that will like, showcase like works by female or um, films that deal explicitly with female like related issues. So um, I think it is like a misfit uh, when I was watching film or TV drama that I know that they are not created or they are not created for or created by people like me. That I um, my role as the audience is highlighted, and I feel that it's really. Horrible that we have to look at things that uh, portray women like very biasedly That I was drawn into doing something else. Yeah, so that was
1: that the piece. Um, yeah, yeah, I, I I'm done. <laughs>